the rest of our time this morning together in the Word, defining the word sinner. And I hope you walk out of here with a different definition, even just this week in one of the Bible classes that I have the joy to be able to teach. Some very astute, intelligent high schoolers. The statement was made, well, we're all just sinners. The common assertion is that we, even as believers, are all sinners, is not to be found anywhere in the Bible, as the term is never used in reference to a believer. In searching the scriptures, we discover that the term is not defined as is generally supported, which is anyone who commits a sin is a sinner. What we do find in God's word is that God has drawn a clear line of distinction between saint and sinner, believer and unbeliever, the regenerate and the unregenerate, the righteous and the wicked. And this distinction is directly related to the conduct and practice of our daily lives. So I want to challenge the statement that Martin Luther made, Simul Justus et Peccator, Righteous yet a sinner. Um, and I will tell you, I'm a big fan of Martin Luther. Matter of fact, if I ever could have another child and it be a boy, his name would be either Martin or Luther. So you know what team I'm hitting for. However, there is a great danger when some of these great men of our past, and especially the reformers, when their words are exalted to the level of Scripture, these were mere men, and Martin Luther was wrong. Not intentionally, but he was wrong about a lot of things. To his own admission, he even admitted this. So we need to be careful there. Um, so I want to talk about, are we in our righteous standing before God to refer to ourselves? Is it proper in any biblical sense to call a regenerate, born-again child of God a sinner? I will tell you in advance the answer, and the answer is a resounding biblical no. No. So point number one is simply this, and I, I left some spaces in there hopefully for you um, to fill this in, but it is identity versus action. Here's the problem with a saint, a born again, a righteous person referring to themselves as a sinner is sinner is an identity word. It is not an action word. A sinner is someone you are or are not. So my question to you today is which are you? I'm going to give you a little test to help you out with that, which I think the Scripture does. I want to commend this to you. I think I may even try, if I can figure out how to do it, I may try to post this to the church Facebook page. But it's by James Spivey, S-P-I-V-E-Y, in his work called Clinging to a Counterfeit Cross. I borrowed heavily from that, and it, it impacted me. I, got, I was in this debate recently, again, online. Um, here's what he says. Let me... Let me Quote this for you. Martin Luther in the 16th century coined the Latin phrase simul justus et peccator, which translated means righteous and at the same time a sinner. He meant by this that although we are righteous in Christ, we still have remaining sin in our lives. That, that this is the case, few would argue. However, this has led to the common misunderstanding in the church that, quote, we are all sinners, end quote which does indeed redefine the word as it is used in Scripture. And then he tells you why it's important. What is concerning is how few recognize the negative effect it has had on the body of Christ. And, and, and listen to this. We hear the constant mantra, we are all sinners, and then stand in wonder as to why there is so much sin in the church, end quote. 
That's the problem. We have to understand, first of all, under this, is that sinner is an identity word. It's something you are or it is something you are not. Sin is an action word. So I'm going to unpack this, hopefully, logically, thought by thought as we move through this. And we're going to not take my word for it. We're going to look into the scriptures. So number two, identity lays out the expectation of behavior. This is so important. So because sinner is an identity word, by the way, what would be the opposing word? If you're not a sinner, what are you? A saint. And by the way, guess, just take a wild guess. Guess what term is constantly and consistently used for people in the New Testament who have repented of their sin, believe the gospel, and are following Jesus? Guess, guess which word, sinner or saint? Saint, saint always, 100% of the time. So we have two different identities here. And I want to be super clear about this. If you're a sinner, you are not a what? Saint. And if you are a saint, you are not a what? You cannot be both at the same time. That's like being a little bit pregnant. That is an impossibility. So identity lays out the expectation of behavior. So here's the question. And here's why it's a problem. And I thought Spivey did a really good job in saying it. And it simply comes down to this question, what do sinners do? When you, you think of sinners, because we intuitively, even without thinking it through, even young people, even children understand that, that sinner is in some sense an identity word. A sinner is who I am or who I am not. But if I consider myself a sinner, what do sinners do naturally? They sin. Sinners sin. And what do saints do? I like, to, I like to turn that word saint into a verb. It might be inappropriate, but that won't be the first time I've been accused of that. Saint, saint. Sinners sin and saint, saint. They do righteousness because they are, get the identity behavior, righteous. So identity lays out the expectation of behavior. Again, Spivey says, a word that was intended, listen to this now, don't miss this, a word, talking about sinner, that was intended by God to bring despair and repentance, resulting in righteousness, has been redefined to the opposite effect of bringing us comfort in our sin. That's the problem with this word. When you call yourself a sinner, you know what you're doing? You're giving yourself an out to sin. And if you're a saint, I want you to hear me write this down in your outline. There is no out for your sin. Because saints don't sin, they saint. And that's the big problem in the church today. In good churches today, that student that said that, that parroted that back this week in class, comes from what I would consider a very orthodox church who has this deadly word wrong. And I will say to you, and I want to be careful in saying this, the reformers did a wonderful job in their calling of calling us out and understanding that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Thank God for that. They did a horrible job taking anything further from there, especially who we are in Christ. They never touched identity. It wasn't their calling and they missed it. And as a result, We've been stuck in a hole. And brothers and sisters, it's time to get out of that hole. We need to, we need to deal with that. So sin or sin, write this down, Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinks in his heart, what church? So is he. So if you consider yourself a sinner, you're giving yourself an out for sin. And if you hear nothing else today, no, there is no out for your sin. There's only an in. And that's being in Christ. There's no expectation of the life of a saint that is marked by sin. The truth is, any teaching that gives us any comfort whatsoever in our sin is not of the spirit, but is of the evil one. How contrary to the words of Christ. Look what Jesus said, write this down, Matthew 18, verses 8 and 9. And if your hand or foot causes you to sin, 
cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the fires of hell. Jesus did not take sin lightly. Who do we think we are giving ourselves an out by calling ourselves sinners when we're saints? Do you see, do you see why this is an issue? When you call yourself a, a, self, a sinner, you're giving yourself an out and an excuse. You are comforting yourself in your sin. When really the only thing we see in the scriptures is that we should be confronted in our sin, never comforted. True or false? Y'all say amen or ouch, church. Either I'm telling you the truth or I'm lying. Number three, it's up there on the screen already. What is a sinner? Well, I'm going to give you four definitions. Two from languages, one from a lexicon, and the most important one from the Word of God. First of all, Hebrew. The Hebrew word for sinner is chata, C-H-A-T-T-A. And it means sinners or sinful. The masculine noun hata appears 18 times in the Old Testament. Listen to this. And it designates a habitual sinner who is the subject of punishment because of his or her practices. It's a habitual sinner. It's a nature word. Next one is the Greek word. There are several of them. Hamartolis is, is one of the main ones means to miss the mark, a person who customarily sins, a sinner or an outcast. Um, it can refer to persons who were irreligious in the sense of having no concern for observing the details of the law. Such people were often treated as social outcasts. If you were a sinner in the New Testament, you had no care whatsoever for God's commands and you were a social outcast from the covenant people of God. Then the lexicon, the theological dictionary in the New Testament says it this way. The sinner is a man who does not allow God supreme authority over his life and who withholds from him total dedication and obedience. It need hardly be said that this implies a new gulf of unfathomable depth right across humanity. This is the gulf which separates those who are in Christ and who are thus rescued from the power of sin and brought into his possession and the service of God from those who are still under sin or in their sins, neither knowing God nor serving him. This gulf is deeper than that which existed between the righteous and the sinners prior to the coming of Jesus. For it is not created or maintained by men, but has arisen and continually arises from the act of God in Christ. This is not a man-made separation. This is a God-made separation. Now that Christ has come and Jesus has done his final work on the cross, we have no excuse. And then most importantly from the word of God, the Hebrew is one thing. I, knew, I know a little Hebrew. He owns a deli. I know a little Greek and he owns a laundry. But the most important thing is what does God's word say? Sinner from the Word of God. We find something here that should be disturbing to the true saint today, and that is that the word sinner is closely linked in Scripture with terms such as wicked and ungodly in contrast to the righteous. Psalm 1.1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Does that sound anything like a Christian, a saint. Psalm 1.5, as he finishes up this psalm, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. You see sinners and righteous contrasted. Psalm 1.6, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Proverbs 11.31, jot these references down. If the righteous 
is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. Do you see the contrast? You have the righteous and you have the sinner. They cannot both be the same thing. 1 Timothy 1.9, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane. Sinners versus righteous. So we find in these verses that the words wicked, ungodly, rebellious, lawless, unholy, profane, and sinner are used interchangeably. In other words, all sinners without exception or qualification are wicked, ungodly, and lawless. These are terms used in Scripture as direct opposites of that of a believer or a saint. So I want to ask you again, which are you? The Greek word for, for wicked, rasha, is, literally means to act wickedly and to condemn as guilty. Ungodly means to impious or ungodly without reverence for God, not merely irreligious, but acting in contravention to God's demand. We are doing the opposite of what God says. It is to be irreverent, by extension, impious or wicked. If a believer is a sinner, then it would be equally true that a believer is ungodly, wicked, and lawless. However, we find in Scripture the opposite to be true. You can't be both. 1 Samuel 2.9 he keeps the feet of his godly ones, but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness. Psalm 4, 3, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Psalm 31, 23, Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. By the way, that's the Hebrew word for the New Testament word for saint. The Lord preserves the faithful, but fully recompenses the proud doer. Psalm 37, 28, For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. But the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. Psalm 86, 2, Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. You see godly and unrighteous contrasted here. Galatians 6.1, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. Notice it doesn't say help that sinner back onto the right path. Because it says, if another believer is overcome by some sin. So we see that the godly and the faithful and the righteous, those who trust in and serve God, in full contradistinction to the ungodly, the wicked, the unrighteous, and the unfaithful. And write this down. This is my favorite. This hit me the other day. It's one of our memory verses this year in, in my classes. Uh, it's Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. Now, now, now listen to this. How does God demonstrate his love toward us? In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet in our sin and identified as a sinner. You know what that word intones there? In the Greek language, enemy. Listen, jot this down. A sinner, there it is. A sinner in Scripture is an enemy of God. A wicked, evil, unjust, unrepentant person. And while we were still that in time, God sends Jesus to die for people like that. And that is love. I mean, you might die for your friend, but you're not dying for your enemy. Jesus did. 
But it says, while we were still sinners, indicating that now we are what? No longer sinners. Is this making sense to anybody this morning? You're not a sinner if you have put your faith in Jesus, repented of your sin, and if you're following him. I know what you're thinking. If you're a thinking person, and I'm just going to make that assumption, there should be a yeah, but right about here. And here's what the yeah, but is. Yeah, but the righteous still sin, don't they? Yes. And that's the fourth point, the reality of sin in the righteous. Nobody is saying that the righteous don't sin. Here's what I'm saying. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says the righteous sin, but the Bible never calls the righteous a sinner. I'm talking identity, not action here. Stay with me. Do the righteous sin? Yes, of course they do. However, because of this mentality of we're all sinners, we have the expectation of sin in the church, and that's why the church is such a disaster today and looks no different from the world whatsoever. So this sinner mentality is further complicated by statements, again, by our friend Martin Luther, when he said this, even the best of persons, even the titans of virtue in the Bible, Abraham, David, Peter, and Paul, sin all the time. That's exactly right. They didn't. Again, Luther is not Paul. And Peter is not Luther. God did not write via the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through Martin Luther. He did through Paul and Peter. So we must go to their record and not Mr. Luther's to get the tail of the tape. So with all due respect to Luther, it's simply not possible to reconcile his statement with the scripture. And let me show you in four ways with those four men. Number one is Abraham. In regards to Abraham, here's what God says in Genesis 26 and 5. Write that reference down, Genesis 26, 5. Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. I don't know about you, that doesn't look to me like he sins all the time. Do we have records of Abraham's sin? Yes. But, but God says when you look at his whole life, that describes Abraham, not someone who is sinning all the time. Well, what about David? We know he was a mess. It's said of David that he, listen to this in 1 Kings 15, 5, that he did what was right in the eyes of Jehovah. And had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. Look at this. Except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. David's sin was dire. But to conclude that he sinned all the time is not warranted. I'm sorry, Luther. You were wrong. What about Peter? Now, there's a guy that was a mess. I told you before, Peter's motto was ready, fire, aim. He shot off his mouth before he engaged his brain. Very often, that's why I love him. He's finally somebody I can relate to in the scriptures. And he was guilty of grievous sins, for sure. I mean, he denied Christ, but that was before the resurrection. He played the hypocrite in Antioch, and Paul the apostle had to confront him to his face in front of the church. But generally speaking... The charge that he sinned all the time is not justified by Scripture. Peter admonishes his readers in 1 Peter 1, 14-16. Look at these words. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the, to the passions or the lusts of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in what? All your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. End quote. After making that kind of statement, if Peter were sinning all the time, the charge could be made that he continued to play the hypocrite, which would again be unwarranted. This is a man who requested to be crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as his king. This is not a man who sinned all the time. And the last one, Paul. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And then in Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example. And note those who so walk. As you have us for a pattern. And it's not on the board, but look at Philippians 2, 14 and 15. He says this, Do all things without grumbling and disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That does not sound like someone who was sinning all the time. Write this down, 1 John 3, 6. John the Beloved this is no longer young John. John was just a teenager when he was following Jesus. Now he is pushing 100 years old when he writes these words. No one who abides in him, in Jesus, in Christ, keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. So the truth is, we could probably count on two hands the actual sins recorded in Scripture in regards to any of these, quote, titans of virtue in the Bible. To make the allegation that these men sin all the time not only goes beyond what is written, but it contradicts it. Again, be careful of elevating the words of our heroes to the words of the Holy Spirit. They are not the same. I know you're afraid because there are two more points, but these go super fast. Number five, what creates identity? It's easy. Michael, what's your last name? Uh, Violet. Violet. How'd you get it? Uh, so you are a Violet. Do you have to work to become a violet? No. Do you have to do anything to keep that name? No. Nope. You're just born with it. Birth, write this down. Birth determines identity. Birth determines identity. Now listen to me, not behavior. However, behavior is birthed. From your identity. Your behavior is birthed from your identity. It's told of story of Alexander the Great. He was a very hard man, or he wouldn't be called the Great. There was a soldier who had shirked back from the front line when the battle was hot. He retreated. And it was noticed, and he was immediately detained and brought to Alexander the Great for execution, most likely. But they would always let Alexander decide. So the charges were read against this man, this young man, and the young man knew his, days, his moments were numbered. And on his knees, the great Alexander said to him, Young man, what is your name? And without daring to look, the great commander in the eye, he said, my name is Alexander. They said there was a long pause. And Alexander the Great said, young man, you will either change your name or change your behavior. And one of the few men he ever spared. It is said that that young man went on to do great things. Because he now knew who he was. Am I a sinner because I sin? Or do I sin because I'm a sinner? Your birth determines your identity. We're all born into this world. Sinners. Broken. Fallen. Physical birth into our... The first Adam makes us a sinner. Amen? And if you don't believe babies are sinners, you haven't watched one in a while. Our friend Vody Bauckham calls them vipers and diapers. They are. It's a good thing they're little and helpless because they would kill you for not coming faster to change their diaper or pat their back or give them a bottle. Am I, am I telling the truth here or what? 
We are born in our sin. That's why we don't baptize babies around here. Because babies have not yet been converted from the heart. That's why baptism is for the believer, the one who has repented, believed the gospel, and is following Christ. Now, I think that's why God puts babies in the families of covenant believers, but it does not make them anything close to a saint. It's your second birth, your spiritual birth into Christ, the second Adam, that makes you a saint. So your birth determines your, 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 your identity and your behavior. You got that? Because sinners do what? Sin. Saints, saint. What happens, however, when a saint sins? Well, it, it's fairly logical. When a saint sins, he or she is acting in contradiction to who they are. I want you all to hear that. A saint, when a saint sins, they are acting against their nature. I don't think you're getting it. I got an illustration that's going to help you. Have you ever tried to give a cat a bath? I've seen pictures of some, one of your kids tried that. It don't work out well for you or the cat. Why? Because by nature, cats have an aversion to water. Are you with me? And if you can get a cat that enjoys a bath, you have a cat that's probably a dog. Because <laughs> most dogs love a bath, right? You have a cat that's messed up in the head, doesn't know who they are. And listen to me, a Christian that, caught, that is, is sinning has forgotten who they are and they're living in violation to their true core nature, who they really are. And that's why, listen to me, if you are a saint and you are sinning, it doesn't taste good anymore. Say, right. so, man, I used to love that. Now it tastes horrible. That's why Jesus turns to Peter and says, two things. After Peter just has this big breakthrough moment, who do you say that I am? Oh, we'll tell you who you are. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus says a couple things there, Pete. Number one, you didn't come up with that. My father revealed that one to you. So don't get a big head. Right? And then Jesus says, tells them plainly, okay, you're right, that's who I am. And let me tell you what's happening next. We're headed to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me. Same, same guy, Peter, says, not on my watch. I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death, Luke 22. You know what Jesus says to him? Get behind me, not Peter, get behind me, Satan. Just like God just spoke through you a second ago, now Satan's speaking through you. And then he says this to Peter. He said, I love it in the old King James. He said, thou savorest not the things of God. What's he saying? Pete, you have no taste for kingdom food yet. Because you're living on the garbage food, the junk food of the kingdom of darkness. But he says, but I pray for you and when you are converted, strengthen your brother. What happened? When you're converted, your tastes change. And I want you to listen to me. Is, is someone up there? I want you to listen to me. If your tastes have not changed, you have not changed, and you probably still are a sinner, and you need to repent, put your faith in Christ, and start following Him. And that means all of His rules, His familial rules to honor your father and your mother. That means obedience and deference, not disrespect. To pay your bills. And you live like a saint because sin doesn't taste good any 
more. And then the last one, how is my identity changed? Two minutes. Give me two minutes and we'll be done. Number one, through the new birth. How many of you know that Peter and you, you didn't need a reformation in your life. You didn't need to be reformed and fixed up a little bit. The only hope for you was a resuscitation, a resurrection. Amen? Some of us seem to think that Jesus had to die for precious little when it comes to us. But let me tell you how dead in your trespasses and sins you are. You are a disaster. Your baptism does not save you. Your church attendance doesn't save you. Your tithing doesn't save you. Only Jesus saves you. And your identity has changed, but it takes a lot. It's very expensive for this to happen. Galatians 2.20, write it down. Paul says this, I am crucified with Christ. And yet I live. And the life which I now live in the flesh, how do I live that? This physical life that I'm living now, even though I'm crucified with Christ, by the way, when you're crucified, you're, you're what? Dead. Dead. Paul says, something called me that died in Christ on that cross. And it's an interesting word that he uses. It could use a ton of different verbs there. He uses the verb that says, I am, I will, that thing called me will constantly be dead with Jesus. I am, I am, I am fully dead who I used to be. But the life that I live now in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's he saying? There's a resurrection that happens after your crucifixion. After the old you dies. The new you lives. But the old you stays what? Dead. You don't have two natures. That's another false teaching that has messed up the church. You don't have a sin nature and and, and a saint nature. You're either a sinner or you're a what? Saying God did not leave you a two-headed monster. Now, do you have sin embedded in your flesh as an alien enemy? Yes, but you have a Holy Spirit that can beat that flesh every single time. So there is no excuse for sin. So my second birth, being placed into Jesus on the cross, being placed into a tomb with Jesus, and being resurrected, a brand new spirit being, one with the Holy Spirit where there is no sin there. I'm a saint, not an ain't. 1 Peter 2.24 might be the most beautiful verse in the Bible that explains one of these elements today. Here's what it says. He, Jesus, himself bore our sins where? In his body on the tree. Don't miss this. To the end that we might die to sin. Oh, but it's not it. And live to righteousness. I'm not making this stuff up, folks. It's been there all the time. By his wounds, you have been what? Healed. Do you see that? He literally bore our sins in his body, in his physical body on that tree. Pair that with Paul's Galatians 2.20. I have been what? Crucified with Christ. And he took my sin, which was all of me, into himself. My favorite verse, and kids ask me all the time in Bible class, I don't know why it's such a thing with them. Mr. Jettle, what's your favorite verse? Easy. 2 Corinthians 5.21. And he who knew no sin, look at this word, don't miss this word, became sin for us. So that the righteousness of God might show up and show out in us. You see it? He became our sin. And our, we, that sin became no more 
Past, present, and what, church? Listen to me. And that is not a license to sin. Listen, it is a license to saint. You got it? But because for so long the church has said, oh, you're just a sinner. No, you're not. I used to be a sinner. I am now a saint who sins less and less to the glory of King Jesus. Amen? The bread of communion comes right out of 1 Peter 2.24. He bore our sins in his what? Jesus said, this is my body given for you. And all of your sins, Peter, I'm going to accept into me in a few hours. And then in six hours on the cross, I'm going to pay an eternity's worth of hell for what you did. And your record's going to be clean forever. He took our sins into himself. That's why we have the bread. No one ever gets that. The bread is our transformation from sinner to saint. The transformation of our core identity. So let me conclude with the words of Spivey again from the scriptures. Romans 3, 4. Let God be true and every man a liar. Psalm 1, 5. The wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Daniel 7, 18. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. And Spivey closes his work with these words. Those who think themselves saved and yet remain as sinners in practice are, according to the God-breathed word, clinging to a counterfeit cross. What are you clinging to today? A lot of people are clinging to a counterfeit cross because you've been lied to from the pulpit. You've been told, yeah, just say this prayer. By the way, you won't find a sinner's prayer in this book. We made that up. What you will find in here is repentance, belief, and a following of the Lord Jesus Christ with ruthless, ruthless and fruitful results. It is something, it is an action, it's not a prayer. You've been lied to. So come and say these few words and we're going to get you wet and then you can go live like hell and not expect to end up there. You are clinging to a counterfeit cross. When our children live just like the world and have no care whatsoever for the commands of Almighty God, and live in all manner of sin. And instead of confronting them in that, we, we comfort them in that because they said a prayer and they got wet when they were seven. And some of you, that's the truth for today. And yet you sit in this building, resentful that you have to be here, and you have no ears to hear the truth of God's word, and you are clinging to a counterfeit cross. You say, Pastor, what do I do? You come repent today. Of your sin. You get real and you get right with God. And you put your faith in what Jesus did. You see your sin placed into Jesus' body. You see his body ripped to shreds on that cross until the last drop of his life's precious blood pours out of him and your sins are covered for all of eternity. And then you get up off of your face and you say, I'm going to walk in your dust, King Jesus, for the rest of my life. They say, how will I know that's real? You'll know it's real by the fruit of it. You will start sainting and you'll stop sinning. And when you do sin, it's going to taste like garbage in your mouth. And if it tastes yummy and wonderful, you're a sinner. You're not a saint. Today is the day of salvation. Flee to the cross. Would you stand with me? Father God, we come to you seeking seeking your, your, your grace and your mercy because we are dead in our sins without it. But oh, how deep and how rich is your mercy. We have for so long misunderstood your word. And oh God, may no one in this house today be, be comforted in their sin. But rather, may we sense the command to obey the gospel today. 
by repenting and believing it with all of our hearts. Holy Spirit, do what only you can. Draw us to the Father through the Son. Give, even right now, the gift of repentance, faith, and commitment to those that you are calling. Give us that spirit of repentance. And for the saints that are here, they're struggling in their sin, help them to know that they're saints and not sinners and that sin's not supposed to taste good and that's your kindness because you're that good to us. You, you would make sin taste nasty. Give us the spirit of repentance in that call as we put our faith in Jesus constantly for what he has done that we might follow you closer. May you be honored and glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to open these elements, and in a minute I'm going to invite you all to come and get them. You say, how's that work in this church? If you are a saint and been baptized or are going to be next week, come. If you're not, don't. Do not. This is a sacred deal here, and God's not playing. Please, just watch and wonder. Matter of fact, you need to be, if you're not a saint, or if you're not sure you're a saint, you need to be using this time to be fleeing to the cross of Jesus Christ and begging God for the gift of repentance and faith and following. Amen, church? But if you are, you better come. You better get these elements and be ready to share them with your brothers and sisters in the presence of our King to the glory of the Father. Amen? Amen. Courtney's going to lead us in a perfect song, He Will Hold Me Fast. How many are glad that Jesus' grip on you is better than your grip on Him? Amen? He never lets go. So you kind of get your elements, hold them, and we'll take them together here in just a minute. You all come. We'll start in the front row. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. Aren't you glad that's true this morning, saints? I could Never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. And he does, amen, church. He will hold me fast. Yes, he will. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. Loves us so. He will hold me fast. Amen. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Yes, we are. Precious, precious in, in his, his holy, holy sight. sight. Isn't that great? He Raised with him to end the past, his promises shall last. But by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. beautiful truth this morning, church. For my life he bled and died. Oh, yes. Christ will hold me fast. Yes, he will. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Praise with him to endless life. When he comes at last, amen. He will hold.
Anybody thankful for that this morning? Wow. Listen to me. If you got this cracker, this bread, and this fruit of the vine in your hand, I want you to repeat after me. I am a saint. He took the bread. He broke it and he gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. This is how you're transformed from sinner to saint. The old you died. There's a new you. Eat and remember who you are. After the meal, he took the cup. It happened to be the third cup. There are four cups of wine represented at the Passover. This was the third cup, the cup of redemption. I'm sure that was a coincidence. <laughs> Imagine that. To buy back, to purchase. The word is ek agarazzo, out of the slave market. Out of the slave market of sin, we were purchased. At what price? The blood of Jesus. How much are you worth? More than you can understand. There's nothing more valuable in the universe than the blood of its creator. And it took that to pay for your sin. How horrible is sin? How wonderful is our Savior? May we drink and remember. Him.